0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at bethlehem.church. Let me let me pray for us now. So Lord, we we come today on this sweet moment every year where we really in a unique way celebrate your your resurrection. Lord Jesus, your Overcoming the grave on our behalf. You're overcoming death so that those who believe in you, you said, will never die. And yet, Lord, what's so sweet about the good news of Jesus, what's so sweet about being a Christian, is that it's not just true today, it's true every day. And so we pray that you would help us by the end of this service. have a sturdy, settled, anchored hope in you, King Jesus, our slain and risen and reigning Savior. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know, I don't know all of you, uh, and I don't know exactly how you walked in here today, but, but here's what I do know, is that if you walked in here today, you walked in here with brokenness. And I know you walked in here with brokenness because brokenness is universal. I walked in here with brokenness. I know it because we all did. And I know we often try to deal with that brokenness with artificial hope. And so I'm just going to tell you my my hope for you up front, my hope for me up front is that by the end of this message, the end of this service you would feel like you know personally a hope that's deeper, deep enough for all the brokenness, for all the sin, for all the sorrows, for all the suffering, and that no longer would you have to try to deal with that brokenness with artificial hope. So what am I talking about when I talk about brokenness and artificial hope? Let me run some scenarios past you. Maybe you walk in here with some past sin you're deeply ashamed of and you hope you hope no one ever finds out oh that no one would ever find out maybe you pray that no one would ever find out or maybe you walk in your some present sin you're engaged in and you hope you can keep it hidden until you can finally stop you hope or maybe It's a life circumstance. Something has happened to you recently. Something has happened to you in the past and it's stolen a dream of yours and you're hoping it can come true again. Or maybe it's a prolonged suffering. You wake up with pain every day and sorrow every day and you hope that maybe someday it will go away. Maybe it's a death of someone you love and you hope someday it won't hurt so bad. Maybe you have deep fears in your heart about your own life or about the life of someone close to you and you hope your fears don't come true. Maybe you hope that you can do enough good things to tip the scales your way and land on the right side of eternity. Oh, how you hope that you can do that. You can do enough good to make it to the right side of eternity. And this kind of hope, along with the suffering, is universal as well. <laughs> we, we all do this in our minds and our hearts. And it's, it's not bad on our own. It's just a bit artificial. And here's what I mean by artificial. I don't mean it's not real. What I mean is it's not deep enough. It's not certain enough. It's not full enough to really deal with with the depth of your uncertainty or the fullness of your pain or brokenness. It just doesn't go far enough. It's a kind of hope we cling to in order in our own hearts to kind of make it day to day to kick the can of our fears down the road. But even as you do it, right, even as you hope those things, it feels fragile, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel fragile? Our hearts long for hope that can truly anchor us. I was talking to a good friend about this the other day. These kinds of hopes, they just don't ultimately give us that deep, soul-satisfying comfort that we long for. In fact, over time, they make us more anxious because we have to keep hoping, keep drumming up the hope. And behind all this, it's going to make things worse on Easter, right? Behind all this is this reality that time is ticking. Like it feels like the clock is running out, the, the world keeps moving. People don't even recognize all the brokenness in us. And the longer you live, the more you realize that life is shorter than you ever realized it was going to be. And some of the suffering stays longer than you thought it would. And some of the dreams you realize might never come true. And some of the fears are hard to shake. Some of them even come true. And death keeps casting its shadow. And life can just feel like it's, it's slipping through your fingers. Where is it going? Full of sin and suffering. Full of broken hearts and lost dreams. From our passage today, I want you to leave here with a kind of hope that is deep enough and full enough And sturdy enough to withstand wherever you walked in with today and whatever you'll face tomorrow. A kind of hope that's not dependent on you at all. (laughs) A kind of hope that's outside yourself. A kind of hope that's not dependent on circumstances, even in the least. And I want you to see the reason we celebrate the resurrection this Easter Sunday and every Sunday we gather is that there is only one hope like that, one place to find it, and His name is Jesus. So I want you to come on into Jesus this morning. I want you to see him and have a sturdy, steady hope so you can trust him and hope in him today. So let's dive into this passage. This passage is incredible. So let me point out something about our passage right away by pointing you to what comes right before it and right after it. So our passage is 3.18 to 22. And right before it is 3.17 and right after it is chapter 4, verse 1. So I want to read chapter 3, verse 17 and chapter 4, verse 1 to show you what Peter's after in this passage. Chapter 3, verse 17. It's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So our passage is sandwiched Between two passages about suffering as a Christian while doing good as Christ suffered. In other words, Peter, writing to the church, assumes what? You're going to suffer. It's going to be all over. And actually, if you decide to follow Jesus, you might suffer more. More might come your way. And so he wants, I think in these verses, to point them to their ultimate hope that will be deep enough and sturdy enough to face tomorrow. So let's look at verse 18. Here's what it says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So notice four things about this verse. First, notice that Christ suffered once for all for sins. What that means, and is very good news, is that he doesn't need to suffer again. It's once for all. He suffered and paid the price. It's the the perfect sacrifice. He doesn't need to pay it again. And the better news is that for you, if you trust him, you don't need to pay it again either. You don't need to pay it again either. You don't need to live in guilt and shame. You don't need to pay it with your good works. You don't need to pay it by living a little bit better. You need to pay it by Tuesday through Saturday, cleaning yourself up, doing long enough devotionals, doing enough to come to church on Sunday and worship. He paid it once for all. The tab has been paid, and your sin is forgiven. Number two, notice that Christ suffered the righteous for the unrighteous. So if you worry you're in that camp where you worry about your past or your present sin you worry that you're going to be found out people might discover you're unrighteous and messy and you're twisted and your heart's more broken than anyone could ever imagine well that's the only kind of person there is Christ suffered the righteous for the unrighteous kids you are sinners and sin isn't a small thing the Bible says we're, we're unrighteous. But rather than hide that or ignore that, we just confess it. And then we praise God that Jesus never sinned. Right? Most of our families sinned on the car right in. Right? Like we don't go more than an hour or two like living in this kind of experience. And Jesus never sinned. He never sinned. The righteous for the unrighteous. Completely righteous. And that righteous one, what He said is, I'll take their place. I'll step in for them. A perfect sacrifice is needed. I'll live the perfect life and then I'll die for them. The righteous for the unrighteous. We don't need to die for our sins because the perfect Savior already did. Number three, and this is actually the best news. Christ suffered... For our sins, the righteous from the unrighteousness, to bring us to God. So, whether you know it or not this morning, this is what your heart longs for. This is what you want more than anything else, even if you don't know it, to be brought into eternal life and fellowship with the living of God. You were made in His image to take in His glory, to take in His goodness, to worship Him, to fellowship with Him, to have Him as your own. This is what you're made for. And the problem is God cannot dwell with sin, but by faith in Jesus and His once for all and perfect sacrifice, we're united with Jesus. His death counts for our death to sin. His death counts for ours. We're covered in His righteousness. And when God the Father looks on you, if you've trusted in Jesus... He sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees you like he sees his son. Despite that sinful argument you had on the way in today, right? Despite the bigger arguments, despite the deeper sins, Christ dies, the righteous for the unrighteousness, to bring us to God. So now you can cast your cares on him because he cares for you. You can approach the throne of God and not find wrath and anger, but find grace and mercy and well-timed help. Think about what this means. Think about what this means for you. This means that the God of the universe has been working throughout all of eternity past in all of history to make a way for you to dwell with him and fellowship with him now and forever. How much does he love you? How far has He gone to pursue you? How much will He work for your good and for His glory? This is objectively true. You are loved. You are forgiven if you trust Him. You have been brought to God. No longer on the outside looking in, but brought into the family. And if you are on the outside looking in today, we're just praying, come on into the family. The righteous for the unrighteous. Come on into life. Come on in, out of the slave camp and into the family home. And finally, number four, this is what you're all waiting for, right? Notice, Jesus didn't stay dead. If Christ hadn't risen from the dead, our hope wouldn't rise from the dead either. I couldn't say anything I just said with any enthusiasm. Right? But He was made alive in the Spirit. This refers to the glorified body of Jesus after his resurrection. Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the dead to prove that he was who he said he was. The Lord of all. The God-man in the flesh. God incarnate. Coming down from eternal glory to take on our mess. To take on our brokenness. To be crucified for our sins. And then arise again to say, I told you. (laughs) I told you I am who I am. I conquer death. I pay for sins. I told you. Don't you see? It's all true. I am who I am. All of these promises I mentioned are alive and well because Jesus is alive and well. Suffered for our sin as a substitute to bring us to God and He didn't stay dead. And Peter wants you to see today that if you trust in this perfect suffering Savior who died to bring you to God and then rose again, then His righteousness and His payment for your sins can be a refuge for you because He is greater than all evil and He will keep you safe. That's what He wants to show you in the next two verses. We're going to read them. Look at verses 19 to 20. They're a little bit messy, but the main message is clear. Here's what it says. In that glorified body in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey, When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you have an idea of what's going on here. And if you haven't, then this sounds really strange. So I'm going to give you just a little catch-up. Basically, we've been walking through the story of, of Noah and the flood. And the word for spirits here, you can go back and listen to Daniel Sukup's sermon a couple weeks ago. The word for spirits here is almost always referring to these demonic, angelic spirits, these beings. And in Genesis 6, right before the flood happens, we have demonic angels coming and sinning. What we see in Genesis 6 is a world full of sin. Every person always doing evil Continually. Right, that's a lot of adjectives, always doing evil continually, the whole world, until it gets so bad that God says the only righteous, just thing to do is destroy the whole earth with the flood. People were sinful, demonic angels were sinful, everyone was sinful, a lot like it is today. And in 2 Peter, the same author He talks about how God locked away these demonic angels who did not obey and had to destroy all those sinful humans, but how he preserved Noah and his family through the flood. So here's what I think this is saying. Jesus, by his resurrection in his glorified body, proclaims to all the evil powers that he has once again thwarted the plans of evil. He has once again conquered evil. Just like he was patient and brought Noah and his family through the waters of judgment because they trusted him, so through his death and resurrection he has again been patient. He's again been patient with all who trust him and brought them safely through the judgment they deserved. Evil loses. Death loses for those who are in Christ. Always This is not some movie, some Marvel movie where good and evil are kind of equal. Who's going to come out on top? Jesus always wins. And He's saying that again. So hear hear two things today from these verses. Number one, just one sentence. If you reject Jesus, if you reject Him, if you say, I've got it. I can be God. I can find my way on my own. I, I don't need you. If you reject Jesus... Judgment, like a mighty flood, is coming, and it's real. I have to say that because I love you. (laughs) If you reject Jesus, go. (laughs) I can do this on my own. I can figure it out. Judgment, like a mighty flood, is coming, and it's real. But number two, also hear that if you've spent your life rejecting him, he is patient. He's patient. Just like the ark was being prepared before the flood and, and God was patient in that time, now is a time where God is being patient until he returns again one day to bring judgment. If you haven't trusted him yet, he's being patient with you. You're breathing today because he's being patient with you. You're listening to this right now because he's being patient with you. Now is a season of mercy and patience. Patience. If you would trust in the once for all suffering of Jesus for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, trust that he's been made alive to declare his victory, Jesus will bring you to God today. He'll be your refuge. He'll bring you through the waters of judgment that were supposed to crash on you, but instead they crashed on Jesus at the cross. And you will be safe in the ark of His salvation in the ark of His righteousness. And the judgment waves will not consume you anymore, but will carry you in Jesus all the way to eternal life. You can be brought safely through your judgment that you rightly deserve for sin and spend eternity with Jesus if you just trust Him. Trust Him. Just give away. Surrender all that you think you need to be. Surrender, figuring it out on your own. Surrender, dealing with that tomorrow. Surrender all else and count all else as lost compared to just knowing Him and being found in Him in the ark of His righteousness, safe now and forever. You could do it right now. You could trust Him right now. Point number two, Jesus, our Resurrection in our ruler. So we've seen he's our righteousness and our refuge. Now we see he's our resurrection in our ruler. Let's read verse 21 together. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as Peter's mind thinks about God bringing people through the waters of judgment by faith, his mind waters, his mind wanders, waters, to the picture of that in baptism. He says, baptism corresponds with that story of God preserving, saving, we could say, Noah through the waters. Now notice right away, Peter goes, they could misunderstand this. Right? I, I just said something they could misunderstand. I better qualify myself. He says, don't be confused. There's <laughs> nothing magical. Or, like, life-saving about the actual ritual of baptism. About the actual water you get in. We're going to see one later. And we don't think that the person going into this water in that moment, that that's the moment of salvation. Peter doesn't want us to be confused. It's not this ritual that can make us clean physically or spiritually to save us from our sins. So what does it mean? Well, again, baptism corresponds, it's consistent with the story of Noah. So what's he saying? Well, if you went to the story of Noah, you'd find that Noah had faith in God before the ark. And therefore, he got in the ark and was saved to the very end. (laughs) By his faith, God made a covenant and said, I will save you by your faith. And Noah trusted him. He gets in the ark and he's saved to the very end. God's not just big enough to save you at the beginning, but that salvation means you get in the ark in his righteousness and he saves you to the very end. The word for appeal here, this this appeal from a good conscience, is a word for making a pledge. In other words, in baptism, we enter symbolically into these waters of judgment and we die to our sin and rise again with Christ, pledging to Him, I trust you. I trust you. Isn't that what Noah did when he entered the, the ark? Lord, I trust you. I believe you, right? How crazy is that? If you're like, everything you're saying is crazy, Pastor. Is it crazier than building an ark because someone says rain is coming and getting in? Right, that's what's going on. I trust you. I believe you. I believe your word. I believe what you say. You're more real to me than anything else. I trust you. In other words, the moment of baptism does not create saving faith. It's a moment in which a person already saved says, I trust you. You've saved me. Help me. (laughs) Making this pledge that I want to live with you and I want to walk with you. We enter into the waters of judgment symbolically, and in those waters we rise from them, appealing to God through His resurrection life. Jesus, now I want to rise with You. I've died with You to my sin. Now I want to to rise with You and walk in new resurrection life and power now and forever. I want all of Your life. I don't want to settle for this, this first initial part, but I want to rise with You and walk in new resurrection power now and forever. I believe if I trust you, I'll never die. I believe you will transform my lowly body someday to be like your glorious body. Kids, did you know that if you trust in Jesus, you'll never die? If you're like me, when I was little, I was so scared of dying. I don't know why. But if you trust in Jesus, you'll never die. Kids, do you know that if you trust in Jesus, you're going to get glorified bodies perfect bodies that are free from sin and suffering and can see and love Jesus perfectly, wouldn't you like to never get a cold again and never get really sick again and never have disease, mess everything up, to never have sin mess up how you can see and love Jesus? Kids, wouldn't you love that? Some of you are nodding. That's good. (laughs) You see, the good news for all of us is not just the death of Christ that saves us, but the reality that baptism points to. That we've been made alive in Christ. Fully, freely, forever. And we will be alive forever with new bodies that can never sin again. Not just we won't sin again, but they can't sin. Like if I could mess up that body, I would. And I won't be able to mess it up. I won't be able to sin. Can never die again. Can never suffer again. Fully enjoying the presence of Jesus forever and ever. And like I said before, that's what our hearts long for, whether we know it or not. This is a hope. This kind of hope is a hope that's deep enough, sturdy enough to deal with any lost dreams, any struggles with sin, any chronic pain, any suffering, and even, yes, death. Because what this hope says is this life is not the end. It's just the very tip of the iceberg, just the beginning. And it will get better and better on into eternity. Finally, notice verse 22. It says, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. And this verse is just the final nail in the coffin that our hope is secure. <laughs> Completely secure. Why? Because Jesus has risen and Jesus is reigning. Right? He's our resurrection. He's our ruler. Isn't it a good thing to be kept safe by the one who has all the power? Isn't it a good thing to have our hope in the one who has no competition? Right? We don't get that kind of security ever in this life, do we? Do we ever get this kind of security? Right? The, the nations are always raging. The, the peoples are always plotting. We see the world around us filled with, with bad rulers, with sin, with all sorts of pain and brokenness. And sometimes, if we're honest, in our, our weaker moments, it just feels like suffering and sin and evil will win. Sometimes it feels like maybe Satan's going to prevail. But our Savior is risen and reigning. He has shown His judgment and victory over all who would rebel against Him, evil spirits evil people, in His death and resurrection. He has shown He'll bring us safely through the judgment waters to eternal life, that He'll be our righteousness and our refuge. And he has shown us in the picture of baptism that salvation by faith means that he will bring his people through death to life. No power can thwart our Savior. No evil can stop him. No grave can contain him. He will never die again, but he is risen and reigning and he will return soon to judge all who oppose him and make all things new. For all those who have trusted Him. Jesus is our righteousness. He's our refuge. He's our resurrection. He's our ruler. And so it's in the righteousness and refuge and resurrection and reign of Jesus that we can have an anchored hope in resurrection life. So let me walk through these again and just exhort you one more time to rest in this anchored hope. To have the kind of hope that goes so deep that you can't be tossed to and fro by the waves of life. First, our righteousness. No one can steal your righteousness. Can't touch it. (laughs) No one can touch it. You can walk out of your guilt and shame right now and into the light. You can fight sin knowing it's already been forgiven. You can't earn your way to God but Jesus has already paid to bring you to God. So would you believe right now for the first time? Would you say, I want that righteousness? Would you rest from your striving and rest in forgiveness and rest in Jesus? No one can shake your refuge. If He's your refuge, no one can shake it. We have a kingdom that can't be shaken. You're safe in Jesus. You will make it home. Through the waters of judgment, you will make it home to your Savior. If this doesn't feel like home yet... Because it's not home yet. But you'll get there. Jesus will keep you through every desperate prayer and all the tears. He will never leave you or forsake you. You're going to make it so you can rest from your anxiety. You can rest in your refuge. You can rest in Jesus this morning. No one can kill your resurrection. No one can kill your resurrection. If you trust in Him... I mean, just let it sink in, really. Not like big adrenaline, but just sink all the way deep down to your bones. If you believe in Jesus, you will never die. The pain won't last. Death won't win. Sin does not have the final say. Death doesn't have the final say, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sufferings of this present life are not worth being compared to the glory that's coming. So rest from your fears. Rest in his resurrection. Rest in Jesus. And finally, no one can thwart our Savior's rule. Jesus reigns. He reigns over all things. He lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve to die for sin. He conquered sin through His resurrection. By faith, we have died with Him. We live with Him. We'll reign with Him forever. He's coming again soon to make all things new. He's coming to wipe away every tear from our eyes and to bring us finally, fully, freely, and forever into His presence where we will spend eternity declaring that He is worthy of all of our trust and hope and praise. Rest. Hear this. Rest from clinging to security and comfort. Rest in His rule. Rest in Jesus. It's in Him, in Jesus, that you can have an anchored hope in resurrection life. Because He lives, you can face today. Because He lives, you can face tomorrow. And because He lives, we will live forever together in His presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Let me pray. So Lord, we're going to get to see now in a picture of baptism what you do. We're going to see someone who's put all their hope in you, all their trust in you, who is saying, Jesus, you've saved me from my sins. Get me home safe. We're going to see that you are the God who brings your people through the waters of judgment and into eternal life now and forever. So God, as we see, we ask again, help us believe. Help us trust. Would this picture we're about to see bring us sweet hope and joy in this deep anchoring of our souls that allows us to face tomorrow. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.